Hello and welcome back. There will be spoilers. 100 films, 100 podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. My name is Ethan Knight. We are back with number seven on the top 100 list of American films, 1962's Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. And wouldn't you believe it, or wouldn't you, based on a novel? Ah, yet again. I said novel because there's some dispute about the autobiographical nature of it, mm-hmm. but it portends to be autobiographical. A couple critics have called it a very good novel dressed up as an autobiography, so mm-hmm. we'll just leave that out of this conversation. Definitely. Very long film, however. Yeah, I can only imagine how long the novel is. Well, you know, I mean, it's like most books, of course, if you were to depict everything, True. you'd have an amazingly long film, but this one... And they- they filmed a lot. Yeah, three hours and 45 and change. Oh, yeah. Does that include the uh, overture? Yeah, I included everything? the five-minute overture. <laughs> That's just sitting at a black screen. Black screen. We don't even get a title on it. We just get the black screen. You know, without this podcast, I would not have understood what that was about, most likely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I studied theater, so the idea of an overture, you know, I... I I get. I don't think we need them anymore. <laughs> no, but, you know, in the theaters, we've got to take their seats. you got to know if things are going to start. Right. Yes. Although, then that's what I wonder. If they played this overture during s- seating in the theater, I wonder. But I but I think maybe that overture was added. Because I think, didn't we watch the, like, restored, complete director's cut? Yeah. I, I'm not sure what was included or taken out or how that was changed. But... We are watching sort of a definitive edition, which is not necessarily what the list has on it, but I figured why not watch the the most one. And and I think that's the one that's most easily accessible as well. Yeah, that is true. It's hard to find stuff not restored after it's been restored. Mm-hmm. See Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, right. But in any case, once I saw that black screen overture, I was like, well, there's going to be intermission at some point. There sure was. <laughs> yep, there definitely was. Equally I long. Took an extra, I took an extra long intermission. I took about a two-hour intermission. I took a day intermission? <laughs> As in, like, I went to sleep and woke up and watched the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's a long one. And it, and it feels long. This is a movie that really does feel long. I'm not sure it's a bad thing, though, and we'll talk about that no, more later. No, not necessarily, later. no. Yeah. But people may not have seen this lengthy film, so if they haven't, why don't you give them a plot synopsis? This juggernaut of a film. Uh, so the, I tried to be as concise as possible, but uh, strap yourself. <laughs> Is in it Lawrence goes a... to Arabia and then leaves? Lawrence goes to Arabia, does some things, and leaves. <laughs> no, I actually wrote about four pages, so uh, let's... Uh... And that's single-spaced, of course. Jeez. Um, no, go. I didn't really. <laughs> I'll just mute my mic and take a nap. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia is the story of T.E. Lawrence, a British lieutenant who famously fought in the First World War. The film begins at the end. Lawrence dies in a motorcycle accident, and many figures from his past attend the funeral that follows. Then the film turns back to the war, it's all in flashback basically, where Lawrence finds himself bored and ill-fitted for his duties in Cairo. Lawrence is sent to assess, and fuck me with these names, I mean, come on, I can't even say normal names, so just bear with me. Lawrence is sent to assess Prince Faisal's revolt against the Turks. On his journey, 
because he's got to go through the desert. His Bedouin guide is killed by uh, Sharif Ali after drinking from one of his wells without permission. Uh, Lawrence and Ali do not get along, obviously. Uh, at the camp of Prince Faisal, Lawrence meets Colonel Brighton, who instructs him to do his work quickly and quietly and then get out of there. Uh, Lawrence, of course, does not listen to him, and Faisal takes a liking to Lawrence. After a major defeat, Colonel Brighton suggests to Faisal that he retreats. Lawrence suggests a surprise attack on the city or town uh, of Aquaba. Aquaba? Aquaba? Aquaba. Aqaba, Aqaba. I watched this yesterday, and I've already forgotten the, how to say the names. If they could take the city, it would provide an important port stop for the war. Um, but attacking from the water is suicide because they have big guns. However, coming in from behind, the city's not well defended. So Lawrence suggests crossing the desert and coming in from the behind as the enemy won't expect them. Uh, and, and there's nothing there, basically. Faisal allows Lawrence 50 men, including Ali, and they attempt to uh, do the impossible task of crossing the desert. Lawrence gains two young servants on the way, um, though the other men laugh at him because these are, are orphans. Uh, they're like untouchables or whatever. Near the end of the dangerous journey, one of Lawrence's men, Gassim, falls off his camel during the night. When his absence is finally noticed, the other men tell Lawrence to leave him. Uh, but Lawrence is able to double back and save him. This endears Ali to him, and the group of men are able to complete this impossible journey crossing the desert. Uh, Ali gives Lawrence traditional robes to wear. Lawrence then meets with, good luck with this name, Auda uh, Abu Tayi, the leader of the local Hawitat tribe. Yeah, Hawitat. He's a local tribe leader. <laughs> That's all that matters. Um, and convinces him to aid him in the fight against the Turks. However, almost is almost all is lost when a blood feud between one of Lawrence's men and one of Tai's men leads to a murder. In order to save the alliance, Lawrence announces that he will execute the murderer himself, who turns out to be the man he saved, Gassim. Uh, despite his shock at the murder's identity, uh, Lawrence kills him. Uh, finally, the men attack uh, Aquaba. They win. Lawrence takes his servants uh, to cross the Sinai Desert to report back to the British in Cairo. One of his servants dies in quicksand. Lawrence makes it to Cairo and is promoted. Uh, he admits to his superiors that he enjoyed killing Gassim. He also asks his superiors if the British plan to take over Arabia, and his uh, superiors calm his fears despite their intentions to do exactly that. Should we take a little intermission now? Yeah, let's let's take five minutes. <laughs> okay, here we go. We maybe we'll put some nice music underneath. No, it's too much work. <laughs> Um, anyway, we're back. Lawrence then launches a guerrilla war against the Turks, being followed by American war correspondent Jackson Bentley, uh, who writes Lawrence as a hero in all the papers. During um, one of the battles, Lawrence's other servant is badly injured, and rather than leave him to be tortured, Lawrence kills him. Uh, later, while scouting a city, Lawrence is captured, he's stripped and objectified, and when he resists the Turks, he is beaten. Uh, sexual abuse is implied, perhaps, um, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Lawrence second-guesses his place in Arabia and the army and returns to Cairo. However, he's there convinced to go back and fight once more. After coming across a massacred town, Lawrence and his men enact revenge, 
uh, on the Turks that are fleeing the scene. They slaughter the entire company. Matt, you're going to know better if it's a, I'm going to call him a company. Um, despite Lawrence's earlier distaste for violence, right? He's very kind uh, throughout most of the film. Uh, but not anymore. After taking the city of Damascus, Lawrence tries to help set up a council of leaders made up of the tribal leaders, um, but the talks fall apart. The Arabs eventually leave much of the city to the British. Uh, Lawrence is again promoted to colonel and sent back to Britain since his usefulness for uh, the prince and for the British uh, army has basically run out. And as the film ends, Lawrence's vehicle... Uh, is passed by a man speeding by on a motorcycle. That's what Oprah would call a full circle moment. Notably, not a frame narrative, though, right? We have no. the current day of the film. He dies, and then we flash back. We don't actually have him return to the present again. So it is just a flashback, not a frame device. Yep. And you mentioned that he admits to enjoying killing the man he saved. But I don't actually think that's true, right? And I think that's actually part of this masochism that's circling around the T.E. Lawrence actual mm -hmm. biography. I think yeah. it's like this film's nod to that. And yeah. what I have to talk about for the pivotal scene is somewhat related, but it's going to spin off in a different direction. But this is kind of where I want to talk in this film. I think it's the most interesting part of yeah. it, though certainly will run a field of other things as well. The, so The masochism, that is? Yeah, the masochism and his idea of mercy. So why don't we start first with the pivotal scene and we can move from there. So I actually picked something very late in the movie. It's about an hour before the film ends. It's where he and Ali are in the cave and they're down to like 20 people. And he kind of has this aggrandized idea of who he is and says like, I'm not just some normal person and I can work miracles, right? Basically. And before this was the scene with the general allenby saying oh well they think he's a prophet like wait who he does or they do <laughs> the idea mm, being yeah. like lawrence actually thinks of himself as something greater than just a mortal man yes it, which which is something that sort of gets left out of this plot synopsis just because it's already fucking long i mean there there's absolutely this subplot of of lawrence he the more he does these impossible things the more he seems to buy into his own myth, right? Maybe, mm -hmm. but it, but it's maybe tongue in cheek, right? Uh, to the point where is this the scene on the tr no? You, this is the scene in the cave. But before this, right? There's this scene after they take one of the trains while they're waging guerrilla warfare, and he walks along in his white robes like he's Jesus or something, spinning around. You know, he's like a like a like a flashy Jesus. You know, um, but of course, every time they take a you know a train or, or or something more of his men leave him right uh because the arabs are all tribes right and they're they're not a professional army so when they take their spoils of war they've they've won they have they it's not a unified country i from what i can tell right right so this is you know at odds with lawrence's own objective to give them damascus to have this arab uprising yeah. And there's this tension throughout the film about who are the Arabs, right? Because a lot of the characters say, oh, I'm Hawatat, right? I'm Harith. Like, I don't know who this Arab is you're talking about because yeah. I'm part of this, this clan, effectively. And so yeah. this idea of a centralized, organized uprising, rebellion, and then government is kind of antithetical to this 
lifestyle that many of these tribes are leading. But to return us to the pivotal scene, this is the, the two officers talking. Then it's Sharif Ali and Lawrence speaking before he decides, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a moral man, basically. And this, of course, is right before his fall in the city right. where he's beaten up by the Turks and sexually assaulted, at least historically, right? I can think about that. Uh, in the film, it mm. kind of leaves that somewhat vague, but not too much, I would say. Yeah. So I want to set the scene with this. Let's go ahead and listen to the clip. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Do you think he's gone native, Harry? No. He would if he could, I think. Not my line of country, this, sir. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just curious. What matters is I believed it. The Turks believe it. They're offering £20,000 for him. Good heavens. Yeah. Shouldn't say he'd long to live, would you? Well, whatever else, sir, he's a brave no, man. Surely, surely. If he's still going north with 50 men, he doesn't lack guts. I wonder if they'd offer that much for me. What about next year? Will they still come back? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. They think he's a kind of prophet. They do, or he does. Now may I speak? Yes. Or once one more failure and you will find yourself alone. I do not include myself. I do not include the others. So say they love you. The more reason to be thrifty with them. Give them something to do that can be done, but you, no, no, they must move mountains for you. They must walk on water. That's right. That's right. Who are you to know what can be done? If we'd done what you thought could be done, we'd be back in Yenbo now and nowhere. Whatever I ask them to do can be done, that's all. They know that if you don't. Do you think I'm just anybody, Ali? Do you? So the reason I chose this, even though it is very far into the film, is I think it speaks most to the character of Lawrence in how, well, conflicted he is, certainly, but yeah. how he is one thing to other people, one thing to another, unsure about himself. Most of the film is people asking who he is. Mm -hmm. It's him trying to find out who he is at the beginning. So it's all about this quest for identity. And he's becoming Arab, right? In a lot of the words of other characters, Faisal included, right? He's almost an Arab, he says. Yeah, yeah. He's this double-edged sword. And he's just this very confused person. So at one point, Faisal, played by Alan Guinness, we should mention, in... Mm -hmm. Something we'll have to continue to talk about in the does it hold up, right? <laughs> but he says, with Lawrence, mercy is a passion. With me, it is merely good manners. You may judge which motive is more reliable. Which fulfills in the scene where they attack the Turks, take no prisoners, even though they're surrendering, and just murder everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So he's moved to mercy most often, but he'll kill when he has to. And he'll kill when his passion is that as well, right? So mm -hmm. there are these moments of oscillation for him, right? He has to kill the man he saved, right? So he saved someone. That's that's a mercy, right? He didn't have to, yeah. but he need, he wanted to. Then he has to kill that man. Obviously, tears him up inside, even though he masochistically says he enjoys it, right? Because mm -hmm. when he tells General Allenby, oh, I enjoyed it, or before he says, I killed these men... 
And he even says he killed the boy, which he didn't, right? He was in quicksand, not his fault. The general's like, oh, well, we'll give you a warning. And he's like, but hold on. I enjoyed it, right? He's trying to increase the punishment, right? There's something masochistic mm-hmm. about this. And then other moments when he has to kill his other boy servant because a detonator goes off in his his shirt, basically, has to kill him as a mercy to prevent the torture from the Turks. Then you have, after they take the train, there's one Turkish soldier still alive shooting at him, right? He gets shot, falls down, gets up, faces the guy. Guy keeps missing, right? He's tempting death in that way or, or wanting further pain. And the first thing he says once he gets shot is good. Mm-hmm. And then finally you have his assault at the hands of the Turkish general. And in that moment, right, I did some historical looking back. You know, Lawrence is often thought to be asexual. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, at the brutalizing at the hands of the Turkish military, he said he felt like a sexual surge during this. Yeah. So yeah. There, he might have been an actual masochist, right? That he experienced some kind of sexual pleasure from it. But, you know, beside that can be this, beside the point if we want it to be, because I think really this pivot scene points to all these different moments of the conflicted character of Lawrence on the screen. And that's what yeah. makes him compelling because he's not just this person who wants to save the Arabs from themselves or give them a country, right? He's this very complicated person who gets used up and in some ways becomes monstrous by forces, including his own, but also like Faisal. So I think that's where the heart of the movie is, right? So we end too. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so strange, right? Because especially looking back and watching the film, the, the, a lot of the masochism stuff, didn't all gel together for me, but I did a little reading after. And and then when I thought about it, you know, sort of after having that all laid out in front of me, so so much of what his motivations in this film are, are things that, that are, if not outright, you know, masochistic, they, they're, he sets insurmountable challenges up in front of himself, right? Even the, even the concept of, of becoming Arab, which is sort of his like weird, obsession that he wants to be like the Arabs. He wants to be like the Bedouins. You know, he wants to be out in the desert, right? It's all, he, he creates these, these conflicts for himself. He's insolent right at the beginning of the film so that everybody so that there's challenge for him. Right. And it, and it all goes back to this idea of, of that sort of self, self-punishment, self-harm, whatever it is, right. The, the, the sort of thing that leads the masochism, it's masochism, right? Yeah, and there's there's a moment also, I forget who he's talking to in the film, but he says he loves this country, and it's obviously a, I think, I think it might be Ali, he's like, well, we all hate this place, right? Like, yeah, it's a hot I, desert, it sucks. Yeah, he, I, think it, I think you're right, I think it's Sharif Ali who's like, we, I dream of, of palm trees and, and, and oases, and, you know, not the harshness of the desert, right? Like, and Lawrence, I think, there it is, he's, he's... Uh, restored after after being out right when he when he makes that decision to go uh, through the the impossible desert right um, before he makes that decision he goes out and like stands in the desert for what seems to be hours right he's just sitting and standing and sitting and walking you know and it's got to be physically uncomfortable I mean they they don't he doesn't look good after it right so even that is what restores him you know uh, and, and brings him back. Yeah, we can think of this as maybe a a necessary outcome 
of a certain idea of masculinity, right? Because yes. this military mindset of perdition, of crucible, trial by fire, he's obviously some sort of desk job guy before he goes out to the desert and then seeks to prove himself. And all of that's rewarded by that mentality, right? He's first a lieutenant, then becomes... I think a captain at some point, then a major, then a colonel, right? So he mm-hmm. works himself up the ranks by punishing himself, right? There's a certain yes. respect accrued, certain honor accrued by this kind of mentality. And I think that's condemning that mode, right? I don't think we're supposed to see that and say, what a cool, tough guy T.E. Lawrence was, right? right? We're seeing a broken person by the end of this film who we know ultimately dies, you know, in a motorcycle, motorcycle accident, which historically and in the film, as they chose to depict it, he is swerving to avoid two boys on a, a bicycle, right? Yeah. So again, yeah. there's another mercy or passion thing, right? He's not this cruel, inhuman beast, but he's a very complicated person. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's that it's the way that cruelty uh, is used by him. Because you're right, I don't think we're meant to understand him as an ultimately cruel person, but he does a lot of cruel things in in service of... of of trying to find his identity right which i think you're right goes back to it's about punishing himself and if he can prove himself as a man then he can make up for for his uh you know lack of of fatherhood right because his he's a bastard right but his Mm -hmm. father was was royal or further complicating his identity right Right. And so then it, so everything, right, is, is going back to, to sort of proving through pain and suffering and, and the potential for cruelty and the potential or, and, and the potential to be able to, to do it and, and come out of the other end of it, you know, as this continually, uh, refined person, right? He still is someone throughout the whole film that, that likes to wear his, you know, he wears nice clothes. He has nice things. He has that fucking, I mean, the, the, the first shot of the film with that motorcycle in the, in the corner of the screen. Right. I mean, he, we watch 15 minutes of the motherfucker, like cleaning and gassing up his motorcycle. He takes, you know, he, he values these things. Um, but, but it's, everything is a tool to try to shape his identity in some way through suffering. Right. Well, one way to think about this is like, he is trying to shape his character with a death by a thousand cuts mentality. Right, right, yeah. And you see this too when he returns right after his horrific beating and most likely sexual assault. He says, I think I found a way to live a reasonably comfortable life, a reasonably happy life. Mm-hmm. And that's to get a desk job, right? Right, a desk until the war is over. Mm-hmm. And he eventually turns away from that because he's basically convinced again by this military mentality or British gentleman mentality, whatever mentality you want to call it, toxic masculinity, obviously, but far deeper and more pervasive. Mm-hmm. He gets convinced by this this machine that he needs to go back out there and prove himself again, right? Continue to prove himself. And he becomes a colonel as a result of it, right? Yeah. And then so I think we'll have to turn to our three questions pretty soon. But yeah, one more mm-hmm. thing before we move off this is that final scene with Alec Guinness as Prince Faisal and General Allenby and... Lawrence being dismissed and Faisal basically like kind of like drags him a bit with Mm -hmm. you're a young man, your passions are the young man, right? They're the virtues of war, but peace is for old men and the vices of old men, you know, tend towards peace or something. So he kind of tells him like, look, you're not needed. You're not wanted. You can't do anything for us. So he's 
defeated in this sense because his identity had been defined by this war and his role in this war and his necessity from both Faisal's, you know, whatever you want to call it, uprising, and Allenby and the British government. So he's dismissed from all of these things. Faisal then, to his back, says, "I, I owe you more than you can ever know. But of course, Lawrence doesn't hear that, and Lawrence leaves yeah. broken because the identity he has so carefully and precariously crafted has been shattered in this final moment. Right? They he he's never truly an Arab, which is what he seems to want to be, but maybe only because he can't be right. Mm-hmm. And he he's defined by his ability to do things that people tell him he can't do, or that that you know are just impossible tasks in general, right? Uh, but but you're right. At the end of the day, the war does end. And it, it does come back to the war, right? And the war ends and you have to broker peace and you have to negotiate. And he's not good at negotiating. He's good at saying, fuck you, I'll cross a giant desert with a hundred men and take a city. Not, I can sit and make any... And, and, he, and we see him fail, right, with the Arab council, uh, where you know all the all the tribal leaders won't get along, and he can't broker peace between them, and he doesn't really belong there, right? He doesn't belong in that in that world, um, and, and it's that struggle against that that he that that defines him. So I think you're right. It is it is such a, a scene of of him being broken at the end because there's nothing left for him. They tell him you're not worth anything. Yeah, he's got to go back home to Britain, but we already know he's bad at being a British soldier. He's oh, probably yeah. not very good at being a British civilian because we learned at the no. very beginning he's from England, right? He's talking to his original friend before Ali kills him, and he says, I'm different from them, right? So he's yeah. always been this outsider, right? He's never quite fit in, and even in the ranks, we you hear you know, a list of charges against his character, right? He's sloppy, he's not punctual right he's just a mess Mm. so he can't be an arab right can't accomplish that he's not even he can't be a good british individual so he's kind of left with nothing yeah and and i think we i think we're meant to see to to sort of recontextualize the the very first scene when he's out on that motorcycle you know he i think he's pushing it to the limits because there are no there's no desert to he says that there what does he say that the british the british are fat and I'm not fat, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, and so, like, when you live in a and when you live in a country where the landscape isn't so harsh and so challenging and and so you know sort of destructive, uh, then what do you have to do? Well, you get on your motorcycle and you fly faster down you know the back road than you should, and you know you can he can, you can there are only so many impossible tasks you can do before your your luck runs out or your body runs out or or whatever and i think that's what we see happen here because he doesn't die on the battlefield he doesn't die you know crossing the desert or or you know mounting some battle or whatever he he dies swerving out of the way going too fast on his motorcycle i think it also is a condemnation of the mentality of like out here he could prove himself right he comes back home Mm -hmm. and he's fundamentally different because he's got this different mindset was taught to be different out there that it doesn't jive with his current situation but we really actually should get to our three questions now yes but before we do that why don't we talk about anchor oh yeah definitely okay on to the three questions first question as always is what do we owe to this film 
Well, I think that, you know, especially being this high up in the list, uh, you know, there are, there are quite a few that we could name drop that we that are just on this list, right? You, you This is a film, you don't have Star Wars without this, you don't have Indiana Jones without this. Uh, what other big, I mean, any of these big adventure movies, you know, this looks like Star Wars, you know, the, with all the desert scenes. Um, I think about like Dune, uh, the novel, not the film, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, has a lot of echoes of this, right? It's, it's that sort of like go out with the, you know, the strange people in the desert land. I agree with that, but I think we have even more direct comparison with stuff that's though not on this list, stuff that we have watched with the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves, definitely. The Last Samurai. Yes. Then we haven't seen for the list, but Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans, absolutely. This idea of liminality and how a character crosses a boundary, is rejected by the side that they're supposed to quote-unquote belong to, and become one with the other, right? They're approaching the other, going to the other. Now, all three of those films, if I'm not mistaken, actually succeed in that embracing of the other, whereas this film, I think rightly, is more skeptical of that Mm -hmm. and approaches the other, and then you get caught in between. And so the the usual benefits of liminality, where you can kind of exist in in two places, doesn't work here, right? He becomes a person of nowhere, right? A person of the border becomes a person of neither country. Yeah. And I think that's far more compelling as a narrative and as a character study right this film is heavily thematized throughout about identity about conflict about this ambivalence of self or even unknowability of self and positioning a character like that in this question of going to the other this liminal spaces it becomes a very successful film i would say and clearly it's very successful right rotten tomatoes 100 percent, i think yeah I think um so. Because of this, right? It's a, it's a question of identity, and it looks at the limits, and it says a lot about our world, even though I'm sure it takes many departures from the autobiography. I think the choices the film made were ultimately good ones because it allows us to experience this more in the high narrative sense, right, of narrative arcs and character arcs. Yeah. Well, should we go to our second question then? Yeah, I think so. Does this film hold up? I think that this, like most of the ways we answer this question, I think it's a it's a big yes and no, right? I think that the this sort of beauty that this film shows us on screen is is amazing. It it is truly amazing to to watch, and I think we take it for granted. We've watched a lot of big giant set piece movies, big action movies, other epics. Um, but I think it's it's worth re- remembering that like this is incredible to look at. Uh, so in that way, absolutely, this film holds up. Now the four hour runtime, the uh, myriad of characters in brown face, uh, the fact that the only women we see, just about the only women we see in this movie, are dead, Mur- murdered, <laughs> raped corpses, murdered, raped corpses. Um, you know. And just the fact that it, it, it is the, the, the length, right, and the narrative structure of it is very different than what you see in a movie theater today. 
Um, I mean, it, it, it's classic. I think it has that, you know, it, we, we do see it's a sort of, uh, you know, two-act structure. But really, it was more like a four or five, you know, it's very Shakespearean in it, although we actually have two acts. Um, you know, that, that still holds up. But, I mean, even watching a, a Shakespeare, watch a full Shakespeare play today, it's not easy for a modern audience to, to sit through. Uh, you know, so I, I think there are, there are a lot of problems. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, but you reminded me when you talked about other epics that it feels like, right? This encompassing nature, both in runtime and scope and landscape, right? It feels yeah. very Ben-Hur in that way yeah. to me, yeah. which we didn't mention in our previous questions. We rarely asked the question of the direction on the canon list, but True. I think you can't have this film without Ben-Hur. No, yeah. But, you know, I, I didn't feel very bothered by the runtime of this film because I did actually take two discrete viewings of it, you know, actually at the intermission. I said, you know what? They want me to have an intermission. I'll take an intermission. Yeah, I, I did. I said the same thing, basically. You know, I remember having a lot of problems with Ben Hur in that regard. And, of course, you've already brought up the brown face problem. You know, yeah. very few actors of Arab descent, you know, portraying Arab characters. Alec Guinness, obviously a British person. Mm-hmm. I think the the name we were having difficulty with i just yes. forgot his name not ollie but the other tribal leader yes. is actually mexican yeah and they've got a, a nose prosthetic on him which made me feel a little icky yeah so that's not great and of course there are absolutely no living women in the film it seems and yeah and, you know i kept thinking about you're talking about modern audiences and what they'd sit through or what they'd see i feel like if you made this film today it would still be long right I think a lot of viewers are more accepting of long run times these days, if only because of like Star Wars and Marvel films, like these big mm-hmm. things where they just, you know, they would love for them to be shorter, but they just can't manage it because they've made these sprawling, complex universes already. Right, right. And I, so I think you could still get away with some length, right? But it'd still be sub three hours. I think, of course, you'd have to get the appropriate actors for the job. And then I think you bring in the question of Lawrence's sexuality or his asexuality. Mm -hmm. You bring that in, you make it full screen and you do that by having women in this as well as men. And you have, you know, I wouldn't say sex scenes, right? If he's actually asexual, but you'd have, you'd have that graphic violence done to him. You'd have these, these mishandled sexual encounters with men and women. You know, you could make a very modern film out of this, but I think, I think that would be the way to go with it in a modern film but yeah i still think largely people can view this and not not have it be too onerous yeah there is this is i was willing to be a little lot or a lot more forgiving i guess of this film's length than some like than even something like ben-hur uh because it this is a very complicated and layered film and and just trying to sort of unpack lawrence himself and to get a read on him i mean it takes that much time and i and this is the sort of thing i think that today if you make if you made this it would be this would be on hbo or something and it would be a you know seven part series you know because i think something like breaking bad you know that's maybe one of the most important ones i think of, of recent note show us that you can have you know basically film level narrative and story broken up into 
you know, seasons and seasons of television and people will watch it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. what, how different is this from something like, you know, the rise and fall of Walter White? You know what I mean? It's just a different time frame. It is a different setting and everything, but it's, but it's the same sort of study of a, of a man, right? Like who is he, who does he become? Why? You know what I mean? Uh, th- this isn't a, a star Wars style epic, right? That is about, uh the good guys and the bad guys right i mean there are villains in this film but not but not really yeah everyone's got their own motivations and their own reasons for trying to manipulate lawrence and other the tribes the government whomever right yeah and i think this this is a film too that like the politics of it are kind of important for lawrence but not really for the movie right like Understanding exactly who everybody is and how it all fits into history is so much less important than than trying to understand Lawrence. This is it true. I mean, the, the title is Lawrence of Arabia, and the film hammers that home. Right? It's about his struggle and about his. You know, I mean, you could be, you put him in any two countries. You know, have him be from anywhere else and have him you know be in some place where the uh, environment is hard. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that has to happen, right? It has to be in a vacuum, effectively, right? The desert yeah. providing the great landscape of self-reflection like, yeah. is because is very important. So you can put them on the sea, right? Yes. And yeah. you can do that very easily as well. So Or the snow, right? I mean, it's but it has to, you're right. It has to be a harsh, almost alien landscape. Yeah, he's a stranger in a strange land. Yes, yeah, definitely. Well, Ethan, let's ask our final question. And yeah. do we care about this film? Yeah, I think we I think we do because in in a lot of ways it nails for for me it nails what makes an epic work, right? It it has it's about it's really about Lawrence, right? It's beautiful. It has these jo- I mean, there are scenes here where there have to be 150 horses uh, on screen at once. Oh, certainly, uh, yeah. You know, like the the scale of this film is is insane but it is grounded by by the character of lawrence right Mm -hmm. uh in a way that i think some of the other epics don't quite hit because i think if you're going to do a big epic like this it it, you you know this one works because it's about lawrence like i was saying it's not it's not really about the politics it's not really about arabia it's not really about britain it's about lawrence and his own weird journey of self-discovery uh and and if you if you don't have something like that in one of these big epic films, then they look like Star Wars or Marvel, right? Where it's where it's good and evil. This is not a film about good and evil, right? I mean, it's ultimately like you say about Lawrence as a character. I think that's why this film is so successful, as you also mentioned. I think this is probably one of the best representations of character we've gotten in a film so far. Of course, he spent the most time with him out of any character mm-hmm. on any. He's film. in basically every scene. Yeah, very few times he's not around, or if he's not there, right, there are people talking about him, period, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of Gatsby moments where people are talking right. about him. The film opens that way, right? It's very classic in that sense. But mm-hmm. I also think there is something political about this, and this really hadn't occurred to me. I didn't write this up in my notes preparing for the episode, mm-hmm. but this is one of those deconstructive films of the 60s era because it's it's cutting against these traditional ideas of honor and valor in the military, right? It's underwriting something where it used to be the narrative that, oh, well, World War I and World War II, you know, bloody conflicts, terrible conflicts, but they were 
full of heroes, right? They're full of people doing good. World War One, it's not the Western Front, right? It's not where people are committed to, you know, waging a war against th- these, you know, encroaching powers. This is this is out in the desert. This is dirty. This is not clean. The lines aren't drawn. There are no really armies around here. It's it's very different, right? So they've chosen the right front for this, absolutely. But it ends with Lawrence being spit out with the wash, right? He is not yeah. someone who learns something intrinsic about himself, right? He's left with more questions about who he is than when he started. Yeah. And I think you're right. And I think that, like, this this is subversive in that it does not it, – you're right. It does not play the, the game of – I mean, Lawrence is not a hero. Lawrence is made a hero by by people around him by the newspapers by the by his followers uh you know by his enemies whatever uh but again and again we we keep finding you know even when he's almost convinced that he's a he's a god and he can do the impossible he's always reminded that he's just a man right uh that there that heroes are there there are no heroes right you're just a man it's, it's you're they're, they're made and when that's taken away from you then you're then what are you he's and that's his his thing right we see him in england and all he has to do is fuck around with his motorcycle what else is there left to do he's done things that nobody else could do yeah and the ways that he buys into his own messianic nature or godlike nature or yeah rails against it is is the whole thing right it's the idea of how this power corrupts, but it also causes him to question and it creates and reforms and destroys an identity. So I think that's the real value of this film. I I think (laughs) we've at least scratched the surface on covering it. Yeah. I I think that this film does the, the, what it does with ambiguity is, is really fascinating. It really employs it in a way that, that you need almost four hours to, to, to think about. I agree, but to make sure our episode doesn't go to four hours, I think we maybe (laughs) should wrap it up here. We will be back in two weeks with number six on the AFI Top 100 with 1939's Gone with the Wind. Yeah, shit, you thought this was long? (laughs) Gone Gone with the Wind is... uh, Olivia was just saying, she's like, when do you do Gone with the Wind? Because that motherfucker's fucking long. And I was like, I don't know, man. And she's like, it's next. (laughs) So we'll be back for that. But until that time, I have been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. The trick is to not mind about the spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.